Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Last Week in Brexit is brought to you by Pearson Solicitors and Financial Advisors helping businesses and families for over 100 years. And Greater Manchester Chambers of Commerce. Connect, communicate, create. Hello and welcome to Last Week in Brexit, the podcast for Remainers and Brexiteers alike. Join me, Jonathan Beardmore, every week alongside Alex Davis and Christian Spence as we try and guide you through the choppy waters of Brexit. Hello and welcome to Last Week in Brexit. It's a very special post-election edition. As always, we'll be talking about all things Brexit, but as you would well expect, you're going to kick off with yesterday's big events. As always, I am joined by Alex. Hello, Alex. All right. And Christian. Hello. Fresh from his holiday in, um, holiday in Spain. Just, just, before we, just before we get going on the whole election and Brexit, did you pick up anything when you were over in the continent? Any kind of... Um, um, backlash to Brexit or any thought that the Spanish may, uh, may have towards it? No, actually nothing at all. I mean, it wasn't something I was, you know, asking waiters about, as you might imagine. Um, but no, nothing at all. Um, I mean, I think the only real thing I came away with um, was a was a, a realisation that they do infrastructure and public realm infinitely better than we do in the UK. I think that was the, the big takeaway. The quality of the trains, the quality of public transport, um, so, you know, public realm in city centres and things was just just infinitely better than anything we've ever managed. Excellent. Did you see today, Christian, that uh, Catalonia is planning an independence referendum? I didn't. I didn't spot that, but they've been trying it for a very long time. Yeah. So, yeah, apparently they have said that they're going to do one and the Spanish government is saying that one's not going to happen. That's right. They've been, this has been going on for a very long time, of course, with uh, independence for Catalonia. I believe... The Spanish government have taken away some powers from the Well, they've they've threatened it, yeah. So there's a there's a I can't remember. There's a clause in the Spanish Constitution which essentially allows the central government in Madrid to seize the powers which normally sit with the regions, mm. uh, and certainly the uh, the prime minister and the government there have waved that stick. As far as I know, it's not been invoked, um, but they've certainly waved the stick that if you try it, you know, there's no constitutional duty for Madrid to accept the result of any independence referendum and of course it's not just an issue for Catalonia, Basque of course mm-hmm. has had this going for a, for a very long time. Well that's interesting, so let's move from a more potential referendum that might happen, so referendum seems rather off the cards now. Uh, the SNP took a bit of a hiding last night mm. um, and we've got a completely new composition of Parliament, so um, let's just go with that. Where are we up to now with seats? What's the, what was the final count? Uh, that's a very good, off the top of my head I'm just look, looking for them now. Uh, we, well last time I looked we've Certainly got one more to declare. Yeah, uh, Kensing- to yeah Kensington um, had, well, I think the last count, five recounts, uh, and they've now just given up because 
not surprisingly everyone's knackered yeah. uh, so they're going to have another go um, I think either tonight or tomorrow uh, at getting that through but it certainly looks like um, for the first time in a long time the Conservatives might lose uh, Kensington which is almost an unthinkable um, outcome town, yeah. uh, 1970s mining town Kensington yeah, yeah they, absolutely they Absolutely. So I think the final number was three one seven. Three one eight. Three one eight. No, so we've, yes, we had the Cornwall result in mm-hmm. then. Um, in that case, so three one eight for the Tories. So it ain't enough for a majority. That, of course, is the is the big news. And actually, just to pick up on one of those things we talked about in previous um, podcasts, which was polling, and of course the challenge of polling. Uh, and getting things right here. Um, lots of people have been shouting at YouGov over the past few weeks, yeah. saying you can't, cl- you clearly can't be right. This is clearly out. All credit to them. Um, they were bang on with their first models. Uh, you know, as soon as I saw that model, I thought they were right. And yeah. The reason I thought they were right is no one makes this sort of mistake. Yeah, and, and, st- and sticks with it. And then, of course, to both to, to Ipsos Mori and GFK, who did the uh, who did the exit poll, who were at my polling station actually. Oh, really? we, yeah, we're living a tight marginal, which well, swapped yeah. hands. Sorry? It wasn't there. Uh, Colne Valley. Colne Valley. Valley. It, it's a tight margin and it swapped. Um, the Tories lost it. Uh, Labour game that last night there. So, yeah, we were, um, we were one of the ones being questioned on the way out. But congratulations to them. The, the exit poll was, was spot on. So. Yeah. Well, we could talk about the campaigns, but I imagine more people, uh, more people will, um, uh, will be doing that a lot more in, in, in the next few weeks. So, instead, let's have a look at this from a Brexit point of view. I mean, First thing strikes me is, what must, what must Europe think of all this? Alex, do you want to start? Oh, I, um, I, I imagine they're constantly firing the message at us that they're ready to go with the whole Brexit thing, and they're probably just kind of annoyed that this is going to de- delay it, I would have thought. I mean, we're still due to start talks in 11 days. Mm. Um, or in 10 or 11 days or something like that. And so the EU's basically been sitting on its hands ready for months now, and I suspect that they're getting... Uh, Perhaps a bit frustrated. Yeah, what's going on over here? We've had some comments this morning. Certainly, there's been the formal, uh, the formal congratulations from the uh, from the European Commission to, <laughs> to Theresa May on her appointment as Prime Minister. Uh, that is confirmed now after the meeting. Uh, she met the Queen uh, at lunchtime today. Um, she's going to attempt to form a minority government um, with some support from the uh, Democratic Unionist Party of Northern Ireland. Uh, so she's in post there. But what we've also seen with a couple of tweets from, uh, from EU uh, leaders is we're ready to go. Yeah, as, as Alex has said, you know, the, uh, we're happy to delay the start of talks. They're perfectly happy to delay that and understanding that things are going on. But currently it is a matter at law that the UK will leave the European Union at the end of March 2019. That date is not moving for now. And I guess that's probably the... The big issue in all of this now, yes, you can delay, you can mess around, but um, there is a clock and it's ticking. Yeah, now, in my mind, I have to keep on reminding myself that Labour have not actually won this. So I keep thinking, like, how are Labour going to handle the Brexit? Of course, Labour have lost this as badly as Gordon Brown have lost it, and people uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. are kind of losing sight, losing sight of that. However, we are at a bit, a bit of an impasse, and I was wondering, is there any appetite, do you think, or is it possible that Brexit might become cross-party? Yeah, I, I've, I saw some people uh, talking about this on Twitter a few days ago, and I immediately thought that it was a, a decent idea, but it seems like an even better one now. Um, <laughs> uh, for Basically, if, if May is going to form this new government, it would be a really, really good move and a really, really like bold move from her to take Brexit above party politics and say, let's form a cross-party team rather than just picking David Davis or whoever 
So, you know, get Keir Starmer involved and, and the other guys. Because we were talking about this in a meeting this morning, weren't we, and how, how this election might reflect upon people's view on Brexit. And it's, I think it's a bit more complicated than people think. Because, yes. I mean, we've heard about how, I think it's below 25s, the turnout's gone up from 43 up to, into the 70s or something mm -hmm. like that. So a, a massive, massive turnout, which obviously is great news. I think, you know, political engagement's at an all-time high. Um, so it, it seems like lots of these young people are, are, have come out to vote for Labour, I, I would assume. Um, mm. And so there are people suggesting that this is kind of a, a reflection of the, the public's opinions on Brexit and that you know, their kind of anti-Brexit stance has come out a bit more. But I'm not sure that that's, that's true because I think, as we kind of said before, uh, the, Labour, the Labour strategy and the Tory strategy at this point is pretty similar. And the fact that the parties that were kind of campaigning specifically to stop Brexit, or at least to stop Brexit, have not done very well, is it, to me it strikes me more as a, everyone accepts that Brexit's going to happen. And I think there's probably less around public opinion on Brexit that can be pulled from this than people maybe think. No, I agree entirely. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, the, there are only two parties that really stood on a, on a mandate for either a soft Brexit or, or even reversal, SNP and, uh, and Lib Dems. They've both lost market share. Um, and with Labour, I must admit, you know, I mean, credit to Corbyn for in running a strong campaign, outperforming, you know, even the uh, even the most optimistic views of the Labour Party itself, to be honest, yeah. uh, in coming through. They they are a pro-Brexit party. That's mm -hmm. pretty clear. As you said, right, so the manifestos don't show a lot of difference. There's some subtleties, but yeah. essentially, it's both clearly outside the single market, um, and they've both gained. They both gain share. I mean, it's incredible. Tories and Labour, 83% of the overall vote to the two major parties. That's that a big, big rise. Yeah. So it's not really clear. The, the younger flock to Labour, but it's not clear they flock to Labour to soften Brexit, because actually yeah. that's not what Labour's promising. No, so there's a couple of interesting things here. I mean, first of all, I think I'd like to revisit Brexit, which is to say, do you agree it's still the biggest thing on the political agenda? In my mind, it seems to have completely fallen away. Yeah, I, I, think, I think what we said before, the fact that so much of the vote has gone to Labour and the Tories, I, I think Brexit has become less of an issue for the public. Um, I think we had some kind of anecdotes this morning from people who have been out on doorsteps and things like that, saying that Brexit basically never came up as, um, as an issue for most people. And I think um, Lord Ashcroft, some of Lord Ashcroft's mm -hmm. polling has come out and said that only 8% of people polled said that Brexit was a top issue for them in this election. See, I don't think Brexit has ever really been an issue. Immigration has been an issue, but Brexit hasn't been an issue, especially in a lot of like, the northern seats. And I wonder if that's somehow, that has somehow distorted the perceived notion that Brexit would be an issue. It's difficult because Brexit seemed to be all-encompassing in the manifestos, and we've gone on before about how vague the manifestos were compared to previous years. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult one. I, I think the flock to the Labour Party in particular is based on everything else in the manifesto, not, not their Brexit stuff at all. That's it, because really that's what's dominated the media, isn't it? Yeah. Is, um, you know, the Tory manifesto, yeah, yeah. I mean, in many ways, the Tory manifesto actually says nothing else but Brexit. It talks around, it, you know, it doesn't say anything about it in detail, but it's, it's all about, you know, the introduction page from Theresa May is all about strong and stable leadership, which has been an interesting discussion on its own uh, after last night's result. And everything's framed through the prism of Brexit. The Labour Manifesto has a has a section certainly uh, attributed to it, but it says broadly what the what the Conservatives' position is. But all the media um, around the last well, the last couple of weeks of the campaign has been on, on from Labour's point of view. It's been on tuition fees, 
um, it's been on on the free school meals issue it's been on all of the you know the, essentially the additional spending corporation tax rises all the talk about the Tory manifesto has now been completely dominated by the you know the foul up over over the social care um, policy and U-turn. It's uh, it's been dominated increasingly by the you know the slightly off the cuff remark from Theresa May around fox hunting. Those are things that have kind of now carried the media. Um, and it is because I mean the truth is whether you kind of want it to be all encompassing or not, Brexit is the big issue. It will yeah. shape the way the UK functions, its political system, its economic system, over the next 20 or 30 years, more than anything that happened last night. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, but it's not. Mm. It's, it's all very peculiar. I can't help but think the electorate has just buried their head in the sun regarding um, Brexit. Uh, well, I, I don't mean to say they pick one party over another, but they've definitely voted more along the lines of domestic issues rather than Brexit issues. Well, I think we saw some of this around the time of the referendum, particularly with the business engagement stuff, because we were talking to businesses from, you know, from when the referendum was called back in January last year, right through to June, and there was no shortage of people with opinions, mm -hmm. whether it was remain, leave, what you should do. As soon as the decision was made, getting any information out of businesses just dried up. Because yeah. I think all of a sudden it become, it, we, the line we'd used, wasn't it, that it changed overnight then in June last year from being a nice binary issue, are you pro-EU or anti-EU, to, what are you going to do about migration, customs policy, customs regulation, immigration, um, international trade rules? And all of a sudden, it becomes really, really complex yes. because actually, that you've taken the you've opened Pandora's box. And I wonder if the public's kind of got into the same malaise. Yeah, <laughs> actually, what do you talk about? Yeah, because as soon as you um, start engaging, there's about six or seven different counterpoints, and then you've got to consider them all. So, yeah. yeah, and they all so conflict. They all conflict, so the desire for open borders for trade but not open borders for migration all of a sudden leaves people even with kind of well thought through positions feeling like actually they've been caught between two yeah. places and they can't quite settle the differences in their own head. I'm going to give you a hypothetical though, because we love hypotheticals. Um, so, and it isn't, it isn't completely unlikely, but just say if Jeremy Corbyn gets to form a government in the next six months or 12 months, if the Tory position comes untenable, do you think because of the ambition of the Labour domestic policies and their domestic vision, that they would trade Brexit to get that done? What do you mean by trade Brexit? I guess I that's what If they could, uh, if they clearly, to me, are prioritising uh, McDonald and, and Corbyn. Clearly, prioritising their vision for for the UK domestically. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if they'd be happy to put Brexit to put, put, put Brexit to one side if Europe were, if they thought they could get get through the through, through the changes they want in the UK. So the question is whether the British public would accept it. Um, again, we were talking about this this morning in a, in a mm -hmm. policy meeting, and it's it's just not clear where. Because we were sort of talk, chatting around the issue of, look, does Article 50 need to be you know, partially withdrawn, paused? How do we stop that clock ticking? Do you carry on? And I'm not really sure what the public's reaction... I've no idea, in fact, what the public's reaction to that would be. Because they both seem happy to not talk about it and not see it as a major issue. But we also know now that about two-thirds of the country essentially thinks Brexit should go ahead and, mm. and get on with it. And they've, the public has overwhelmingly voted for the two parties who are... Who are, who are saying that they will they will get on with it? So it's not really clear where where you go. And as you said, the other thing is you need the other twenty seven EU member states to agree. Would I mean would Europe accept the UK back if it said, look, we're, we're going to stay? We're, we're, we're really really sorry. Uh, I think they've said they would. There were intimations. I yeah, think I think they've said that they would. Um, 
Yeah, they, they've said. I think they've said that they would, and they, they've also. I, I think you can obviously look at the stuff that comes out of you know Juncker's mouth and people like that. Mm. But Barnier has pretty much said that even like EEA options and stuff is still on the table if you want it. He's, mm. he's still very open to different ways of doing it. Because that would be a huge one for you, though. Potentially so. Um, I mean, I'd like to argue that things like an EEA option are probably a very good option, a very good outcome for the UK for um, as well, it's at least in the short to medium term. You know, so it takes a lot of the pressure off the negotiations. I mean, I guess my, guess my thinking is, is if this election was meant to be a Brexit election and it was dominated by domestic, domestic policy, and we've got a party with a very ambitious domestic agenda, why would they go through the potential trip-ups of a Brexit negotiation when they could potentially halt it? Mm. Yeah, I, th- so I think for me, it's still, it's still, I don't know what the public's view on this is. is does it, would it swallow? Because the problem is you've got, you've got a, a very loud minority of heavily pro-Remainers, mm. you know, which the which media captures and, and highlights. Um, but all the opinion polling suggests that's probably only about one in five yeah. who, would, who, would, who actively want to reverse the decision. Um, I, mean, I think a lot, of, a lot of the rest of the country kind of seems resigned to it, but whether that's passive resignation or active resignation then kind of becomes important in all of that. So the other aspect of this is, is Corbyn actually a lever? Because if you see the vigour that he put into his election campaign, mm-hmm. you certainly didn't see that in the, in the Brexit campaign. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. His life story has been one of yeah. I think I think it's, the I, don't, I don't think it's a secret that he's perhaps. I, I don't know if he was a leaver. Like I don't think he would campaign for for leave, but he certainly didn't put much effort into his remain efforts. And like you're looking at his history, he, he's criticised the EU for a number of reasons yeah, I mean, in the past. There's stuff happening during the Brexit campaign. He could have easily stood on concerts in you know, in yeah. various football stadiums like he did for his uh, for his election campaign, but just nothing. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't you know maybe pop. Although I, I think it would be handy for them to show Brexit, maybe maybe they simply don't want to. Maybe maybe this, this maybe this is something that particularly the leadership are very very keen on. Yeah, and but the other thing is, is despite kind of the you know Corbyn's position and the Labour Party manifesto position, there's still a huge amount of difference of opinion within the Labour Party about where all this should go. Mm. Um, you know, Keir Starmer is present whilst he's leading on this, he's presenting a much more pragmatic view. Much yes. more than the manifesto has. And actually, it's a lot more pro-business than, than, than Yeah, it is. And and then you've got. I mean, you've still got people um, like Chukra Munna, who's who's absolutely pro pro Remain uh, and would seek to return. So, you know, the, the Tories. I, mean, I suspect you may well see this change now over the coming hours. The Tories pretty much united behind behind the Leave. Even those who would have preferred to remain seem to have kind of gone into the Leave mm. box now. Labour is nowhere near that united as a parliamentary party. Um, I think around Brexit and against everything else, because I think we sort of touched on this earlier. Um, I think one of the big challenges, though, is still, you know, yes, congratulations, Corbyn's won more seats. He's won the highest Labour share of the vote for God knows how many years. Mm. Um, but he's got 170 odd backbench MPs who, who supported a motion of no confidence in him. Uh, who has spent most of the last two years trying to fight everything he does, um, it's not going to be easy for them to just kind of snap into line and say, mm-hmm. off we go. And I guess for those, for, you know, for the Labour moderates, for the right wing of Labour, the centre of Labour, um, the left, you know, the hard left core of, you know, from Momentum and from the Corbynites is, you know, will be unbelievably strengthened by this result. I but I think that's going to take a long time to come through because the focus now, quite rightly, is on how the hell the Tories get them out of the mess they're in. 
but it kind of feels like that's got to come back through. Labour still, Labour still has to deal with this. Um, you know, the people say I was going to say the Labour win, but you're quite right. With Labour still lost, uh, they still came second. Mm. Um, they still got to deal with this. So moving along from politics, and what happens in ten days' time? Because obviously we're going to get back into. Well, or actually start the negotiations properly, right? Yeah, I, I think we were just talking about this before. I, I, it's difficult at this stage because we are, you know, it's two o'clock on the day after the election and, and anything could happen. Mm. But at this point, it seems to me like Theresa May and the Conservatives are almost acting as if last night didn't happen. I, mean, I would certainly say that from her speech. I mean, if, yeah, for, for those of you listening, if you, if you didn't see Theresa May's speech um, after she came back from, uh, from the palace, um, I think I can say this by, whilst remaining politically neutral was one of the most kind of arrogant political speeches I've ever seen delivered. It was entirely like the last 24 hours have not happened. Still using certainty, st stability. Yeah, stability. Uh, yeah it, it is. It is right for yeah that you know strong. The, the strong and stable line came out and strong certain and stable, strong right? and stable. You know, it's going to be strong and stable. It's right that she stays. It's right that the country seeks certainty. Um, she talked about you know well, with the you know now you know for the next five years my government and it's kind of like what this is, is it's you know it's almost like well you know you do realise that you know you called an election you didn't need to call specifically to strengthen your mandate because you didn't believe you had one you you had a strong enough mandate to go ahead with the Brexit mm. you've actually weakened that mandate to the point of losing you know the, losing the a seated a seated Tory government uh, their electoral majority for the first time since the 1970s. It's very hard to see how, I mean, just the, yeah. the kind of the chutzpah to come out and... The, ca the, cam the campaign was entirely about her, not about the party, and it was bad. Yeah. I think everyone agrees that it was bad. It, I, I find it weird how they've kind of just marched on with this, as if this hasn't happened. And I, and I think this, a bit like this, I think there's still some wash-up for Labour to deal with the, you know, the, the, the strengthening of the left that will come through over the, over the coming month. But there's going to be some bloodletting there, 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 there has to be. There has to, but I think so on the Tory party, because, I mean, you know, again, from, through social media and, you know, anonymous conversations with the media that have come through today, it is quite right, it's quite clear that, quite rightly, um, a vast number of the Conservative Party backbenchers and activists are absolutely furious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were promised, you know, essentially their minimum baseline was a 70, 80 seat majority, possibly one over 100. Um, and actually they're now a minority government. So there's, there's some big issues within the parties to work through now. Now, I don't know if you answer this, but what is entailed in a, poll in a government of process. This, this, this came up last night, which is basically a, a minority government. And what would they do? Just, just simply, I don't It's bill by bill, essentially. Um, so yes, they don't have a majority. They can't pass any bills on their own. They will need the support of, uh, of other MPs, um, around eight or so uh, on the current count. Um, so there is some form of agreement. It's not quite clear at this stage what uh, with the DUP. Um, but essentially, it's going to be issue by issue basis. Um, so it's, I mean, potentially that could be good around the Brexit stuff because essentially it's, it's going to have to force them into collaboration. Mm. They are going to need votes from other parties um, to get anything through. So that potentially kind of softens the edges. Um, it certainly takes the wind out of Theresa May's sails that you know whatever yeah. she demands, she gets. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think there's a few ways this could go, and I think there's already people having the discussion about whether this makes the likelihood of a catastrophic Brexit 
higher or lower. And I think there's a couple of ways that it can go, because I mean, the impression that we're getting just in the first half of today is that the Tories want to carry on as if nothing's happened. But then on the other side of it, you know, you, you could argue that Article 50 allows us to uh, lengthen the negotiating period as long mm -hmm. as everyone else agrees. I mean, before we've spoken about that as something which we would do at the end if we weren't quite ready to, to leave at that point. But obviously, we could ask for that extension now. Yep. We could say to them, we're not ready, we need another year. And you know, potentially, they would agree to that at this stage. And if we went down that route, then I think that's a path to maybe a much softer Brexit and a much more collaborative Brexit between the parties. Mm -hmm. But if May and the Tories are really adamant that they're just going to storm along with this and that they are going to start negotiating in 11 days, and you know, I, I'm not sure how confident we are that this government's going to be tenable or how long that she's going to be around. Well, I think if that's that, the big if, challenge. If yeah. that happens and we're still sticking to this timeline, this ticking clock that we're currently on, Potentially, it does increase the chances of Brexit going going wrong. Yeah, because because as you said, actually, the, the best case scenario is if actually the breakdown the breakdown in our political parties is going to happen. It needs to happen now. Mm -hmm. Actually, not because yes. in twelve months' time, it will be devastating yeah. um, to the entire process. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, in my mind, we've got five years. If, if you know, things stay stable, unlikely, but if they stay stable, got five years of the minority government passing bills, bill by bill, whilst negotiating one of the biggest changes in, you know, in UK life. Yeah, with, no, with a no clear mandate to do that. I mean, if it's not clear they had a, had a terribly clear mandate in the first place, but certainly not, uh, certainly not after this. Well, um, I guess, let's round it back to our starting point, which is, could it be cross-party? I assume that they yeah. get a very clear mandate. So this yeah. is, I think, the other route, um, which is that we basically give up and concede that we need to do a soft Brexit or we need a, a significant transitionary period. So harking back to you know the Norway option, the EEA, EFTA membership. Um, because that's, all, that's always been the one that has been an off-the-shelf option that we can do mm. quickly and we can get ourselves into a nice position where we're technically out but still in the single market and nothing, nothing too much really changes, you know, only changes that we can, we can deal with. So the other option is that they finally basically give up and say, you know what, in two years, all we're gonna try and do is get ourselves technically out, but still tied in every way that we can. And because- Which is much closer to the Labour position, of course, isn't it? Because the Labour yeah. manifesto is slightly to it. Um, they, spend all, they spend the first yeah. part of that Brexit session talking about all the benefits the EU has, and yeah. then says, but we wanna leave. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so it's always, it, uh, it's always been a slight bit of tension there. Uh, I was at Corbyn's description of the EU, which was an EU which he would like, not the EU that, that actually existed. Yeah, and again, I, I suspect that's probably where the majority of the of the British public are. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect with all of this, isn't it? You know, the, the EU is a great idea, but not necessarily in the way it's currently constituted. Mm -hmm. um, but it, the question is always, is what does that look like? Because yeah. um, that, that was the thing on the Tory stuff is, you know, it, it's. You know, it's not clear they've got a mandate for the type of Brexit they want. It's still not really clear what type of Brexit they, they want, want anyway. Um, you know, they certainly compare compare the twelve point plan to the to the statements in the European Parliament, and the European Council. Their negotiation guidelines are absolutely clear uh, as to what they're going to set out to try and achieve. Yeah, um, we've not got much more than sort of twelve paragraphs of rhetoric, really. It's, it's just become much, much more difficult for them to do what they've they plan to do, yeah. basically, and, and so it, it seems to me like it would be a smart move. I mean, and all the evidence we have suggests that the public wouldn't like it, but it's just become a hell of a lot more difficult to achieve what they want to achieve, and there are easy ways out of this, but I'm just not, I'm not quite convinced that they're going to 
they're going to take any of them at this no, point? No, I'm not. It's definitely. Right. I mean, you could then sort out all of the domestic. It, you know, it's like playing poker with a side pot. You know, we can sort out the rest later. Yeah. Um, so it's it's an absolute mess. There is another angle I wanted to look at. Mm. I mean, no one actually knows if this, you know, how much this, this would change. But there was there was speculation David Davis wouldn't become the Brexit secretary again. Mm -hmm. it, would go, it would go to Ben Gunner. Of course, he's now lost his seat. Yep. I do wonder how much that's going to that that would have changed the changed the Tory position, or how much it has changed the Tory position now. Well, because the problem was is uh, is Ben Gunner was also the man who wrote the manifesto, which has mostly caused what happened last night. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so it's, you know, it's probably it's probably as well he's lost his seat, because yeah. uh, <laughs> there could well have been some difficult conversations um, from that. But I mean, I mean, you know, the you know, the two names going round for potential replacements for May are, are, are Davis and David Davis and uh, and Boris Johnson um, as the two obvious ones. As you sigh with a. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. For, for, for the tape, I th the, there was a rolling of eyes in here. Um, uh, I mean, a lead. I mean, yeah. I mean, they probably don't want to. They don't want to go through a leadership election too soon, and I suspect the country. It's probably best that it's not immediate. But I can't see. I can't see the, the Tory Party is infamous for its bloodletting and decapitation. Yeah. Um, when it's decided enough is enough, leaders vanish in a way they don't with Labour. Yeah, um, right, and right, I, right, I, right. I just oh. can't believe the 22 committee will let this run. I just think we're going to have to grin and bear it until we face and becomes an MP. Well, it's. I mean, that's, lots of. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, and I mean, hasn't she done well? I mean, she be. Uh, you know, she was approached. She was seen as very, very likable um, for several years up in Scotland, and she's run a run a very different campaign for the Conservatives in Scotland than. Uh, than Theresa May ran here in England, and I mean, I mean, essentially, you've now got a Tory party that's utterly dependent on um, DUP, yeah, on, the, on its Scottish members and the DUP uh, from Northern Ireland. I mean, we, you know, it's, so, so it's you, a long time since the Tories were in that position. So did you say this morning that it's against? It's not against parliamentary rules, but it's against uh, Conservative. Party for, for a non-MP to be leader, that's right, yes. As Cumberland said, why don't you get uh, Ruth Davidson elected to the Lords, appoint her into the Lords, and then bring her into Cabinet as and PM. Now, that's perfectly possible legally. You don't have to be an elected MP to be Prime Minister, mm -hmm. uh, and the, the UK has got a number of examples, albeit from a long time ago, uh, when that was the case. But Conservative Party rules say that their leader has to be an MP. Um, so she couldn't be drafted like that, but she could certainly end up with a cabinet position. If, um, if there was a time to break the rules. Yeah, absolutely. should do the right thing and give up a seat. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's the way that I see it. No. But anyway, um, so let's run this off then. Um, Brexit is going to resume 10 days' time. Uh, what, is on the, what is on the agenda? What should we look out for? I guess I, I guess we just need to follow everything that's that's happening between now and then because I don't think we can even be confident that it will start in ten days at this point. I no, think it's, it's too early days. I think it is, and I think the big thing we're still missing is you know I've, I've mentioned this a few times now, but is is back to those documents from from the Parliament, from the European Parliament and the European Council is frankly until the UK has got a document mm. that goes to that level of detail, it kind of feels like starting the talks is pointless yeah. because it's not really clear what it is we're going in for. Um, the other bit, actually, we didn't touch on earlier, which I might just spend just, yes, a, just a minute on, is the lack of that document is now really holding us back. Because what you do see from the EU is actually all of their presidents could retire, vanish, go off to play golf for 20 years, and the European Commission can do the job. 
It has been given and authorised the power and it's been authorised the, the, um, the policy framework within which it must negotiate. If we'd had that, like we've been calling for for 12 months, mm -hmm. the fact that, the, that you've not necessarily got May to lead those discussions or even not necessarily got Davis doesn't particularly matter because the civil service has been given its remit. Mm. That's not happened yet, and so we are you know, again here, even further on the back foot. Just a quick question on, on that. This, the, the EU civil service, for want of a better yep. word, is dealing with their part of Brexit. No, you're right. That's, that, that's the way it's happening. I think the big issue from the EU side was they would determine Brexit doesn't dominate. I think that's right, Alex. Isn't yeah. It was one of the, the things they talked about. So they've they, essentially they've appointed a dedicated task force, and Barnier is leading this, you know, TF50 task force, Article 50. Um, they've had their negotiations. I think the other side, of course, is because it's 27, 27 members inside a single framework is actually you need to delegate that power because you can't have 27 member states involved because nothing will, you know, it's like a committee of 27, you know, nothing will ever be decided. Um, and they set out those very, very clearly. They know the framework. Barnier's got the, the legal power um, to negotiate anything whatsoever within that framework uh, and then present it back. Um, I think we've still gone, you know, the politician needs to be involved. And, and yeah, I mean, fine, reasonably enough, but but to what end? You know, we don't have the actual framework because we still don't really know what it is we want. Um, it's, uh, it's difficult. All right, well, I think I'll leave it there. I'm going to bury my head, head in the sand <laughs> until, uh, until next week's last week in Brexit. So, uh, have you got anything else that you'd like to add? Oh, only that I'm going to Spain for 10 days. And it's, oh, oh, yeah. it's, so, uh, it's excellent timing here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hoping Alex actually comes back in, uh, in 10 days' time. Yeah. And, and uh, the villa that I'm going to has only had Wi-Fi installed a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not sure that, I will a, you in the I'm not sure that that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, remind us, Alex, where you find it on Twitter? I'm at GMCC underscore Alex. And you can find me at GMCC underscore Christian. Uh, you can also find me at JM or at Pearson FSB. Uh, if you want to leave us an iTunes review, please do, because they are greatly, greatly appreciated. But until then, we will see you next week. Goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.